Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Ah, welcome back to Hurt Tell. Okay, this is going to be a bit of a tough topic, but we got an expert in to talk about it. She's going to explain it to us so that even I can understand it. Longtime Twitter buddy, finally get to talk to her. The great, the wonderful Dolly Marlowe. How are you, madam? Good. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. That's a little bit of a stretch, but I'll, t- I'll take it. Oh, no, you, you glamorous. It's like the old Fergie song, but I'm not going to subject you all to my singing because <laughs> then that would kill the ratings. Um. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Marilyn Monroe movie, Blonde. There's a yeah. couple angles on this outside of but I want to, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to turn the noise down on it because, and I want to start here, whether it's, I'm a big history guy. When we have historical figures, we do what my dad used to call marbleize them. They become the statue, right? right? And then the thing about the statue is, is it's just a statue. You put whatever you want on that and that's what that is. Exactly. On top of your other stuff, you're a vintage historian kind of person. That era of Hollywood is something that you know a great deal about. Before it became the pop culture afterlife, give us a little bit of a sketch of Norma Jean, Marilyn Monroe, however you want to enter that before the death, because everything after the death becomes circus. Who is the actual person? Well, uh, Norma Jean Baker, um, I think she was like a lot of American girls who were interested and enamored with Hollywood. Um, you know, her, her childhood is a bit of a mystery. Um, not, not only because, um, you know, records of the day weren't that great, you know, everything now is on social media and we all have records of our lives from birth to end. Um, but uh part of her childhood being a mystery is that she just didn't have surviving family um so uh she grew up in uh with a single parent uh her mother who was later institutionalized um for paranoid schizophrenia um marilyn uh grew up in uh foster care group homes family friends things like that um part of her trauma in her life was not only uh, losing her mother, um, but was also being molested when she was nine years old in foster care. Um, She married very young, her first husband, um, as really almost a way to um, find, find safety and shelter. Um, and when he was interviewed, he even kind of spoke about that as that, um, their, their marriage was really more to protect her than it was to, um, you know, two two crazy kids being in love kind of thing. Um, 
but she always wanted to be a star. She always, she always wanted to um, go to Hollywood and make it in the movies. Um, so she first started out as a pinup model um, for, you know, for the troops, World War II era sort of thing. Um, she did some risque photos. Um, I say risque, uh, certainly not by our standards of risque, but uh, by 1940 standards, they were they were risque for photos. Um, some of them being nude, uh, full nude photos. Um, and she won pinup contests um, and did that sort of thing before being discovered in Hollywood and becoming a star. Her success wasn't an overnight star. Star, excuse me. <laughs> She wasn't an overnight success. Her uh, journey in Hollywood took, I would say, probably about 10, 10 years or so before she actually reached stardom. She did a lot of B-movies, bit parts, things like that. One of her B-movies um, is uh, Ladies of the Chorus, and it's one of my favorites. And when I was reading up on her before doing uh, this segment with you, um, I didn't know this, but to prepare for Ladies of the Chorus, which is about a burlesque show, she actually performed burlesque uh, under the name of Mona Monroe. So I just, I don't know, I kind of just <laughs> just love that about her. Um, so her, I would classify her as just like this normal girl who traveled to Hollywood and and wanted to make it big. And the thing about her was she didn't have family support because she didn't have family. She, so she did all of this largely on her own. Uh, she's quoted as telling a friend, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the quote right in front of me, but if a hundred percent of the Hollywood producers or Hollywood bigwigs told me I would never make it, I wouldn't have believed any of them. Um, so I just love that amount of grit and determination that she had just as a person believing that she was going to make it one day. And she absolutely did. She became the biggest star in the world. Even today, there's there's no one who outshines Marilyn Monroe. Every everybody from the, every corner of the earth knows who she is to some extent. Yeah. And some of this is timing, of course, Dolly Marlowe joining us. You know, she had the perfect timing of when movies went mainstream in America, right about the time movies colorized, too. That was a big part of it. It, it You know, Blonde Bombshell hits different in black and white. And it just does. Um, media was changing. So you had the exterior press outside of just the movie studios. That was a big change. She hit right about the time that happened. That was a double-edged sword for her, though, because she got all that publicity for her call it what it is her created persona yeah. at the same time we didn't have the social media and the press and the things we have in today's technology that made her private life really for her kind of prison like would be a good way to explain it right. to the modern sensibilities that where we have social media and we see you know actresses that are let's just call it what it is we see actresses that came up through like the child star system they're abused they have outlets now because they can write a book about it they can talk about it it's becoming something that's being dealt with to the modern sensibilities though we need to explain this is a very different world that she was walking into than what we have today in entertainment yeah i and i think too because of our modern sensibilities we have a tendency to romanticize the past but we also have a, a, a tendency to 
traumatized the past way more than it actually was as well. Um, women did not have the agency then that men had. Um, men were not subjected to casting couches like women were. And male stars in Hollywood to entice them into studio productions and studio contracts were often offered young female stars. The studios would pair stars together and just say, okay, you're dating now because it looks good for press. Um, so yeah, women certainly weren't treated the same way uh, men were and the amount of abuse that women face. I mean, even today, when we look at the Harvey Weinstein scandal, that affected women. That wasn't something um, that's not to minimize male abuse in the industry or, or men who have been abused in the industry, but it is something that disproportionately affects women um, as opposed to men. And back then was 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 no different. So um, Marilyn's private life, um, we're we're kind of left with the scraps that the press have given us. We're left with the scraps that things that Marilyn. I mean, she was open about things. It's it's not like she she hid things, but her Marilyn Monroe was not the same person as Norma Jean, and she was often open about that as well. That this was a persona that she created. And she did like to keep her private life private. Um, she was a quiet person in in her real life, as opposed to you know the glamour bombshell that Marilyn Monroe was. Um, so yeah, I think that there is a tendency to conflate the two people without giving honor to the the real person and her, her real thoughts and her real feelings and how, how she what really was as a human being versus this huge star. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, and she struggled. Dolly Marlowe joining us. She struggled with the same thing that many people in her position did was, you know, she did some things to start her career out, and then she wanted to take her craft and the acting seriously, and a lot of people still wanted her to just do the risque stuff, or they just wanted her to do the sex symbol stuff. Yes. This is the start of the debate, and we're going to get into this blonde movie, of what is and isn't exploitive. You're a performer. You are a performer that does risque stuff. You do things like this. So as a performer, though, tell us what's your line and your standards between, okay, this is performative. This is risque. This is me expressing myself. This is me push. Look, sometimes you push the buttons as an artistic thing. That's fine, too. Where's the line of 
okay, now somebody wants something that's exploitive of me or this is past the line. Where do you set that line? What's your definition as a performer? I think the number one thing is consent. Um, if I am doing something, um, am I doing it because I'm consenting to it? If someone takes a video of me or photos of me or whatever without my knowledge um, or without my consent, that's the first thing to say this is ex exploitive. Um, the second thing would be, I think, um, being used versus there being a mutual benefit. Um, if I agree to do a show or if I agree to do to a photo shoot or something like that, um, is there, is there a benefit to me? Am I being paid for it? Um, is there some sort of compensation involved in that for me? And this is actually something that's a hot topic in the burlesque world right now, because there are still producers who are approaching performers saying, Hey, come do this show for $25 for $50 and, uh, we'll get you exposure. And my thought is already already like I'm taking off my clothes. What more exposure do I need? I don't need any more exposure. I need money. Thank you. That's, that's how this, that's how this exchange works. So, um, consent, uh, mutual benefit. Um, and I think anytime we approach something where we're talking about a real life person, there's an obligation to tell the truth. Um, so whether that's not, whether that's telling the true story about their life or speaking about performers now where we have, um, really infamous cases of sex tapes being stolen, nudes being hacked and leaked and things like that, that again, leads back to consent. But, um, there's also, um, there's also amount, an amount of lying that is involved in that and subterfuge that's involved with that. And you, and you don't get the benefit of the person putting it out themselves saying, Hey, this is my story. I'm sharing it with you versus something that is stolen from them. So that's to me um, where things, the, the, the line between exploitation and um, someone putting something out themselves. I don't consider, um, and I'm probably a lot more liberal <laughs> in my interpretation of what exploitation is, but I don't consider things like nudity and sex acts and things like that to be exploitive. As, as long as you are of age and sound mind and you agree to doing something um, and the contracts are clear, I don't really think you can claim being exploited. But the, those things have to be in place and that consent has to be in place. Without that consent, yeah, anything is exploitation. And this is where Dolly Marlowe joining us. This is the problem with Marilyn Monroe is because she's dead. She right. died at 36. She died in 1962. Of course, there's all the conspiracy theories. Everybody agrees, though, that, you know, the barbiturates, the drugs were that's probably what actually physically killed her. And then you can talk about the pressures and the people involved and all that to your heart's content some other time. The woman died young. She died tragically. She died at a period of time where she was having a lot of problems personally and professionally. So you have a historical figure that is worthy of historical coverage. There's going to be biography. You know, she's one of the most famous women in the world when she dies. They're going to cover it. Yes. When you have somebody that is passed on, though, she can no longer defend herself. She can no longer, you know, she doesn't she didn't have people don't realize that like until after the Elvis thing. 
people didn't really have rights to the estates of the stars, not even the families. That's a new thing. The Elvis Presley estate is actually what changed that case law, believe it or not. Yeah, there wasn't, was, any, there wasn't an estate looking out for her goals. There wasn't any of that. There's a very good argument, and I think a historical one, that when she died, as bad as some of the abuse and the exploitation she had, that's really when the exploitation really started when she died yes. because she became everybody else's. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I, th I definitely think so. Look, it's not to say that Marilyn wasn't abused um, by by the studios and by people in her, her life. She absolutely was. And I, when I say abused, I should probably be more um, and, and say uh, exploited, maybe more than abused. Um, but there were abuses there. There were abuses in her relationships. There were abuses through the studios and things like that. But yeah, it, it got exponentially worse after her death. And um, the one of the issues, and like you said, we'll get into the movie, but one of the issues is, is it paints her as a perpetual victim, but she wasn't a perpetual victim. She um, stood up for herself all the time. When the studios refused to give her the roles that she wanted, she left Hollywood and she went to New York and she studied acting and she basically refused to come back until they started giving her better roles. She knew her power. She knew her influence. She knew what she was worth and she was willing to stand up for that. She had her own, um, she had her own, uh, production company, Marilyn Monroe Productions, um, which was part of the, the team that built or that did the film Prince and the Showgirl. So again, she wasn't a perpetual victim who had no idea how to get along through Hollywood. She absolutely did know. Um, so much of what happened to her happened when she didn't have that agency and she didn't have that power. And unfortunately, when you are deceased, you are completely powerless unto what the world does to you after you're gone. Yeah, Dolly Marlowe joining us. And that's what brings us to this movie and the problems with this movie. The movie's called Blonde. We have to start with the source material here because it comes from a novel, a very famous novel, very well-selling novel, Joyce Carol Oates, who's, of course, you know, one of our more famous writers we probably have that's living. But it's a novel. It's a fictionalization. It is not a biography. Now, Joyce Carol Oates never claimed it was anything but that. However, the way they marketed this movie, the way they're playing this movie, the people that made it clearly know it's a novel. But I don't think they've been promoting it that way. I think they're kind of winking and nodding at it yes. as if they're not. Mm -hmm. This is where, before you even get to what's actually in the film, when you start with a novelization and you don't call it a novel, look, when 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 Baz Luhrmann gets a hold of Elvis, you know it's not going to be a biography, right? right. And he doesn't pretend. He's like, no, I'm going to make a show. I'm going to make a superhero movie. That's not what they're doing here. It feels like they were winking and nodding at it, that they were going to make a biography of it. This book, though, and you're familiar with this book, it's it's a fictionalization. It's a novelization of it. And it was purposely done to the point that, you know, they even pseudonym and don't name the husbands, things like this. There's a lot of stuff in here. It's very, very driven one way the way this is presented. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have I do. I have a problem with the book even. Um, again, I think when you are using a real person's name and their life to frame something and then you fill that frame with fiction people walk away with the sense that the fiction in the frame is reality um so i have a problem with the book 
I <laughs> I have an even bigger problem with the film because like you said, I think that's exactly right. I think they know that framing the film as a fiction um, wouldn't have the draw that framing it as a biopic would. And they never come outright and say it's a biopic, but they very much avoid talking about how it is fiction. And the entire thing is fiction. I mean, there are there are so few pieces of reality in it that um, that you could literally take the same book, you could take the same source material, remove Marilyn from it entirely, and inject fictional a fictional blonde Hollywood character into it, and have the same story. Let the audience draw their conclusions. The audience can draw conclusions that, oh, this reminds me of Marilyn, or this reminds me of Judy Garland, or Anna Nicole Smith, or Pam Anderson, or Britney Spears, or, you know, Jean Harlow, or Rita Hayworth. There are so many women who have gone through the Hollywood meat grinder that you certainly didn't need to name this after Marilyn. Um, but they use Marilyn because Marilyn sells. And you're going to have a harder time selling a book or a film about a generic Hollywood star than you would being able to say, oh, look, this is about Marilyn. Whether it's fictional or not, doesn't matter. Her name, her face sells. Which is pretty ironically tragic since that is exactly why she was leaving Hollywood and picking her roles is because she was getting typecast as the cut and paste blonde starlet. Yep. She wanted and here to we are doing it again as an actress. Yeah, and here we are doing it again. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Again, Dolly Marlowe joining us. Um, I want to. There's a couple different controversies that came out in this film. I want to kind of take them in, in chronological order. I think the first thing that got into the public consciousness is when the rating came out. I yeah. think that's when I first started seeing kind of the mainstream. It came out NC-17, which is, of course, you know, basically adults only. Um, there hadn't been a lot of mainstream releases like that, which is kind of weird, even because this is going on streaming. So they didn't, frankly. Let me just be blunt with this. They didn't have to. They didn't have to rate it at all. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They got that NC seventeen on purpose. There's yep. no in the way the rating systems work, and the way Hollywood works, and the way the producers work, and especially since this is on Netflix, they could have went around because Netflix has some pretty hardcore stuff on it under their just mature label. Yeah. They purposely put NC seventeen on this. There, there's no way they didn't. And when you're dealing with Marilyn Monroe and when you're dealing with somebody who has probably been the sex symbol of the last 50, 60 years, that felt icky. It hit me as icky and I'm pretty tolerant of such things. There's no way that wasn't purposeful. And I think that's when people first started going, wait a minute, what's going on here? Is that how it landed with you? Yeah, absolutely. It's salacious. Look, wait. <laughs> When the NC-17 rating came out, I remember <laughs> I remember it clearly. And it was one of those things that if you went to a movie theater to see an NC-17 movie, you had to have ID with you to get in to see the movie. So having something be an NC-17 rating on a streaming service where there are no 
barriers to watching it anybody can click on it yeah it's it's because it's salacious you they they wanted to build notoriety right from the get-go um i am by no means a prude um nc17 ratings don't bother me i don't have a problem with it i don't have a problem with nudity or graphic sex scenes or anything like that it's whatever but again with the subject matter when we're talking about marilyn monroe um and we're talking about any any living person not just marilyn i'm not saying these things as a marilyn stan i'm i'm really not i'm a fan of her work but i'm not obsessive about her um so when you talk about these sorts of um when you're talking about a real life person um and then you throw in that nc17 label um one of the things i think about is uh when hugh hefner launched playboy he launched playboy with marilyn's nudes from when she was norma jean um they're beautiful pictures i mean you know god <laughs> i would love to have uh, photos like that they're gorgeous but for her when she took the pictures with the photographer she was essentially promised that no one was ever no one was ever really gonna see these you know um and um there are, you can have all sorts of debates on whether on the ethics of that but to me as a model um and working in a very small genre of modeling often we take pictures without contracts often everything is done on a handshake and a and a how do you do it's a very small um community of artists and models and photographers and we all kind of know each other um so there's not a whole lot of like steady contracts but even i know that when i take a photo with someone that photo can end up anywhere at any time for anything so i need to be really careful about what i do and who and with who i do with whom i do th these things um i think marilyn was young and inexperienced and and to be fair that sort of art form was still kind of new that sort of media was was still sort of new so she took these pictures she was promised they would never be seen by anyone um and she took the money and went out about her business hugh hefner is able to acquire these photos for a song um and he launches playboy and marilyn's image once again selling um something completely unrelated to her um without her consent without her knowledge it hits the newsstands marilyn's naked in in this new magazine playboy playboy launches the same year she does niagara gentlemen prefer blondes uh how to marry a millionaire so it's really at the start of her um being catapulted into stardom she was terrified that the the release of these nudes were going to tank her career she was terrified that um that the public uh outcry would be against her and it and, and it was somewhat she did face some backlash but um i don't think she faced as much backlash as playboy was celebrated so um but again she's being used in a way where she doesn't have control over her image or what's happening with her image so the nc17 rating i always think like if she were alive 
what would she think about it? How would she feel about it? Knowing how she felt about the Playboy release and her nudes being released, how would she feel about someone who is depicting her, depicting her in such um, graphic and intimate ways? And again, when you're doing something to push buttons and to be salacious, I think there's an insensitivity there. And um, and I think that's one of the first things that ticked me off about this film was that um, we're pushing buttons just to push the buttons, just to make a sale. And it, um, Dolly Marla joining us. That's the thing that hit me. It's like, look, if you just want to see Marilyn Monroe undressed, that's been on the internet for 25 years. Right. <laughs> so for them to do it this way, I, it felt blatant to me. Then I think we had confirmation on it because the director and the runner of this movie, uh, Andrew Dominic, I don't know anything about this guy other than what I've read about him. I'm not a big um, cinephile. I'm told by this, the movie review people I work with that he's a, he's a talented guy that's done some interesting work previously. But I don't know nothing about him other than this. There's been some quotes and some tweets and things that have come out about how he viewed Marilyn Monroe, the person. Um, you, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to read a couple of these quotes and you just react to them because and because I don't want to take him out of context. I'm going to quote him directly, but some of this really bothered me. The background here is that he openly admits that he didn't, he wasn't super familiar with her before he got the rights to the book. For for those of you in Logan, you buy the rights to the book and then you develop the screenplay and then you make the movie. So he he had a long process to kind of think about this. You just mentioned gentlemen prefer blondes. The big quote was that, but there was actually a couple of other of these that really kind of hit wrong. He opens up saying. Um, I'm not concerned with being tasteful. Now, in a vacuum of artistic freedom, I get a, I Okay, I understand that. Sometimes you don't worry about taste. You tell the story, and if it's not tasteful, it's not. I get that in a vacuum. There's nothing about Marilyn Monroe that is done in a vacuum, though, because she's this public conscious figure. Just starting out with that attitude, I think, leads me down the path of thinking this got exploitive right from the jump. How does that quote hit you? Um, it, it tells me immediately that he has absolutely zero care or compassion for the subject of his film. Um, I don't care about being tasteful. Well, that's great if you're telling a fictional story about a fictional char character. Be as tasteless as, as you want. Um, take artistic license anywhere, anywhere you want to. You can do that because there's no harm being done. Um, but when you're talking about a person who was a real human being with a real life, with real feelings, you, you, you owe them something. You are, or you are making money off of the back of someone else, off someone else's name, show some decorum. You absolutely should care about taste at, at that point. Um, so it tells us right away that he doesn't care about her as a human being. 
She is a vehicle and nothing more to him. Yeah. And these quotes, by the way, are coming from a piece in variety. We'll link to it. Read it. Like we always say, read the whole thing for yourself. Make up your own mind. Um, <clears throat> he continues another quote. These are not in order, by the way. These are just quotes. Well, she was, this is Andrew Dominic. She was a strange sex symbol because she didn't have to die at the end of her films like Barbara Stanwyck or Rita Hayworth. That's kind of a weird way to look at it. But she had to be a little baby. And there is a snip clip here just for fairness and context. I think Marilyn was a guy's girl. I don't think she was a woman who had a lot of female friends, but then I think she was a woman who didn't have a lot of friends in general. There is a sense that we want to reinvent her according to today's political concerns, but she was a person who was extraordinarily self-destructive. Now in context of history, we know the last part is true because she did die, but there's, I, seems to me like he's packing a lot of stuff in there that maybe don't fit together. How does that land with you? Yeah. Um, so first of all, I think, um, that's a long quote, <laughs> but first of all, I think I'm directors like to talk about themselves. You may have noticed from time to time working in the industry. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so I'm going to start with the end quote. She was a person who was extraordinarily self-destructive, except she wasn't. Um, Yes, we can argue that committing suicide is the ultimate form of self-destruction, but we also need to understand that at the time, stars who were addicted to drugs didn't get there on their own. The studio had special doctors prescribe medications, amphetamines to keep their stars working. So the, star, so the studios could work their stars literally to death um, these drug addictions didn't come from the stars. It's not like the stars were out finding pushers to give them medications. This all came from the studios. So this self-destruction was pushed by the studios and the studios had their own people really lean on these stars. Like if you don't fulfill your contract, you're going to owe us all kinds of money. You're going to be destitute. We're going to ruin your career. You better not, you know, there was a lot of heavy, heavy leaning on these stars. And we're also talking about a time where people did anything that doctors said to do because there was a, um, uh, a naivete and an innocence there that doctors are, are doctors are good for you and they know what's good for you and why would you question that the doctor said it's okay there was a time doctors were prescribing cigarettes to people so like you know and we still have unscrupulous doctors again Michael Jackson Anna Nicole Smith there are there are still unscrupulous Britney Spears doctors there were there are doctors who are still very much doing unethical things to their patients for a payout. So Marilyn's self-destruction was more studio related than it was Marilyn related. Um, Marilyn was not a health nut, but she was kind of a health nut. Like she was known to eat, eat well, exercise, take care of herself. Um, so the, the, the drug addiction part was very much studio related. Um, and I, as speaking as a person, I'm certainly not, um, I don't want to peg myself as a mental health activist, but as, as speaking as someone who has struggled with my own mental, mental health, um, the idea that people commit suicide because they are self-destructive is a giant misnomer. People commit suicide for a, a ton of different reasons, but 
it's it's not usually because oh i'm going down this wild and crazy path you know he makes her sound like she's this like wild party girl who ends up crashing into a wall at 100 miles an hour and that's that's marilyn's demise that's not it at all talking about her again um he has this fascination with her trauma and nothing else he he's not fascinated by her work he's not interested in her 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 triumphs he's so fixated on her trauma that that's that's the only thing that's important to him and he there's almost a ghoulish and a gleefulness about his fascination with her suicide that's just gross it's just gross yeah, yeah which actually leads directly into the next quote with her um and this is again Andrew Dominic. This is the director of the film. This is a direct quote. I think the film is about the meaning of Marilyn Monroe or a meaning. She was symbolic of something. She was the Aphrodite of the 20th century, the American goddess of love, and she killed herself. So, what does that mean? And it ends in a question mark. Well, that quote goes directly to what you're saying is like, you know, Aphrodite, a goddess of love. And we're let's let's be grown folks here. We're swapping love for sex for for social acceptability here. That's yeah. what he's really meaning. Yeah, that that goes directly to my mind. You tell me how it hits you when we're talking about objectifying a person. I don't know that you can objectify them more than, you know, comparing them to Aphrodite and then saying, well, their whole life was symbolic. And I'm trying to just discern one meaning out of it. That that combined with everything else, I, I keep leaning towards this is a very exploitive way of trying to deal with this person who was a human being who was flawed, who had a lot of bad stuff in there that probably worth exploring on multiple levels. Boy, this ain't it for me. Yeah. Um. Again, he takes a three dimensional person and flattens them to suit what he wants to see he's there's a lot of projection that happens with this guy um marilyn and speaking of myself as an entertainer i'm playing a character dolly marlowe on social media dolly marlowe on stage dolly marlowe in magazine she's not the same person as dolly real last name redacted um I'm not the same person at home when I'm with my family, when I'm with my pets. Um, sometimes I will share a snippet of the real me on social media, but even that is carefully curated to keep my private private. And this what's sacred in my home life, sacred. Marilyn Monroe is no different. She, Marilyn Monroe was an artifice. That was a character she created. Um, she was a person beyond that. And so to look at Marilyn Monroe, the star, the celebrity, the the Aphrodite of the 20th century and go, wow, she killed herself. Well, yeah, jackass, because she was a real person. She, there was someone underneath that artifice. There was a real person there. And you keep missing that mm, point. <laughs> that makes me so angry. Because, and again, not to get too out there, but this isn't just about Marilyn. This is kind of about women in general. There is someone else inside there. And um, this, I know the term misogyny gets bandied about for every little thing, but when we see it, we need to call it what it is. And this is a very misogynistic view on a woman that because she was beautiful, 
because she was a huge sex symbol, because she was these things, she's not worthy of respect. She's not worthy of, of um, care in her treatment. And um, that's one of the things that I think is so infuriating about this, because again, it puts women in a box. If you are sexy, you cannot be smart. If you are, um, if you're, if you're smart, you can't be beautiful. If you're funny, you can't also be sexy. It, it compartmentalizes people when she was a full, a full human being who had a full life. Marilyn was hilarious. She's funny in her movies. Um, she was a talented singer and, 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 um, maybe not known for her dance skills, but she was a student of movement. All you have to do is watch Marilyn walk across a room and go, wow, there's something, there's something there. Um, and she tells a story with, with her body. And when I say she tells a story with her body, I'm not talking about her shape. I'm talking about her, her movement. And to be a student of movement like that and to not be a trained dancer is, incredible because that comes from raw talent that doesn't that doesn't come from training and that's something that was Marilyn and for him to just be like oh yeah you know she was she was a sex symbol and she killed herself I think there's something there yeah there is something there it's called humanity sir Yeah, you bring up misogyny, and yeah, it gets overused. I want to read you this quote. Um, Teresa Laxam wrote this in Collider in her review, which is just a scathing piece of writing. We're going to link to this as well. Read it. Make up your own mind. But to go to the misogyny point, she says the camera, and Andrew Dominic's the director. And the, the, the camera is the director in a movie. That's exactly what it is. This is a direct quote. The camera is absolutely obsessed with her in this film in this film I'm adding as degrading as the men in Monroe's life. If you ever wanted a lesson in what the male gaze looks like, this movie is a prime example. It has a PhD in male gaze and perhaps on some level, this might fit a movie about Monroe. After all, she spent most of her life under the male gaze, essentially being pinned to a stereotype. She wanted to grow out of. It never feels like blonde is sending a message without an excessive way of doing it. And then if she goes on, I can't speak to that because that's not mine. I, I'm somewhat adjacent to it. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to raise daughters in a crazy world. I, it's some, Male gaze is something I'm pretty conscious about in a lot of different ways. You tell me, though, because you have dealt with it. You deal with the mess on social media from time to time because that's just the world we live in. Mm -hmm. You are a performer that that pushes the boundaries and those sorts of things knowingly so. And, you know, that signs you up for a certain amount of mess. Does that hit with you, the male gaze, that the way this guy is? Where does it, this goes back to the exploitive thing. When is it, okay, you kind of get that first glance because we're all human, and then when does it become lurid and obsessive and something that's really damaging? Yeah, I so I, I want to say, I think there's something different than the male gaze and creepy behavior. 
uh, my job is to manipulate the male gaze. I do it all the time. When I'm building an act, the first thing I do is go off of my inspiration, what I want to do. The second thing I do is I choreograph it as a dancer. And the second thing I do is start peeling away the choreography because that's not what my audience comes to see. So I start manipulating my act in a way that caters to the male or you know, in our, in our modern, <laughs> in our modern world, the female gaze. So I'm, let's, let's just say I'm, I'm manipulating it to a more uh, sexual gaze. I, I am not uh, naive. I know that's exactly what I'm doing. And I know that's what the audience comes for. There's a difference between that and something that's really creepy. There's a difference between someone commenting on a post or a video that I make and saying, wow, I really love this. This was fantastic for whatever reason. And someone DMing me saying, hey, do you mind if I uh, M word to this? That's, there, there's, there's a difference there. Um, and yeah, it's even though I know that's going to happen, that's not what I signed up for. I didn't sign up. <laughs> to get those kind of creepy messages. And I always think, especially where social media is concerned, would you walk up to me at a show and say that to my face? And the answer is almost always no, because if I don't club you over the head with the chair, one of the audience members is going to, or security is going to escort you out. But more, more likely, I'm going to scratch your eyes out before anybody else has a chance to get to you. So that's exactly what he's doing with this film being creepy because there's no repercussions he gets to do this because she's long gone and there's no one to defend her so he can shoot shots and um i know you have <laughs> i know you have you have uh words that you have to dance around so i will use anatomical phrasing he has shots shooting up uh the character's vagina do you do we think marilyn would sign off on that i certainly don't think so um but that's that's i think that's where she's going with this quote about the male gaze but there's a difference between the male gaze and just being absolutely creepy and that's what he's doing he's being a creep and he's being a creep from behind the camera and that doesn't make it any better. That doesn't make it art. This is defamation masquerading about as art. Um, the trauma, it, you know, one of the opening scenes is uh, the character being brutally raped. Never happened. It never, Marilyn was never raped other than being molested when she was nine years old, which is trauma enough. She was, she was never raped by a studio executive to get a film. Um, that, another Marilyn wanted more than anything in life to have a family. She wanted to get married and have babies and settle down. She had two, um, miscarriages and an eptopic pregnancy. She never had an abortion. And regardless of your feelings on, um, reproductive rights and abortion and all of that topic, when you have in a film a scene where a fetus is begging its mother not to kill it, not to have an abortion. And the subject is a woman who so badly wanted to have a family and was never able to. That is just cruel and disgusting beyond 
beyond words. So this man, I don't care how talented he was, Harvey Weinstein put out great movies. So did, um, what's his name? The little guy, the little guy with the accent. I have, I have a tendency to forget the names of gross men and abusers because I just don't feel like they deserve being remembered. Roman Polanski, there it is, there it is. Came out of the sky. But, you know, being creepy like this and using art as, there are very talented men in the world who are absolutely disgusting creeps. And we should call them out for being absolutely disgusting creeps. I don't care how great your art is. Yeah, and the reason they don't get called out, we, we've covered abuse on this show a couple different times. We've done whole episodes on it. We cover mental health on our show because we, we take a pause from the politics and the culture and we touch on the stuff that's really important. That stuff's important. And I don't care if it's in a political sense. We've covered abuse in churches. Abuse is abuse. And when we have abuse experts on, something Jennifer Greenberg did when we did our episode with her and she was talking about abuse in church. She's like, whether it's a home or it's a church or an organization or politics, you never see abuse outside of a power structure. There's always a power structure there. Absolutely. And the power structure here, whether it was the studios, whether now it's having the rights to a film of somebody that can't defend themselves because they're not here and they don't have a, a formalized estate to defend them. Whatever the case may be, when you're talking about abuse, you always have to talk about that power, the power system that enables it because it becomes a sponge and a magnet for people yeah. like this. That's why I get very touchy about, you know, everybody can do what they want. I don't do boycotts. I think boycotts are dumb and they have very limited effect. I do choose what money I spend on media stuff. I'm not going to support somebody like this because I see a lot of red flag. Like if he wasn't a movie director, if this guy was a Sunday school teacher or he was a kid coach or something and he made these same comments, we would red flag the crap out of this guy. And I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm really not his personal life because maybe it's just his art and he has specific taste. But if it was any other thing and a guy made comments like this about somebody, we would red flag them, keep our children away from them and probably re review his role in society. Yes, but in the yes. entertainment industry, we don't. And I, again, I understand artistic license and there, you know, you got to be a little bit of a weird person to do that in the first place. I'll, I'll give some credit to that. That's where you start talking about like, you know, these are the kind of people the power structure attracts. And then a lot of this starts, we look at what's going on with the Nickelodeon and Disney kids. Mm -hmm. And we start looking at what's going on in churches and organizations. And it doesn't matter which church, by the way, all your churches have this problem because you're magnets for the bad people to come in if you don't handle your business and you aren't accountable. Let's be yep. grown folk here. I don't care what your religious beliefs are. They all have the same problem because the problem is a people problem. Bad people get drawn to this stuff. And when I see a guy with these kind of red flags in his comments, I'm just like, I, I don't want nothing to do with this. It feels exploitive to me. And it really makes me question, like, who finances this kind of stuff? And it's I, and it's not doing well. It's getting a backlash. So the audience has obviously educated themselves enough to not like this. But that's where I land on this stuff is like I, I kind of above the individual person, above a big word like misogyny that gets abused to the point that it doesn't mean anything anymore. Yeah. These power structures are what you really got to look at because those are something we could actually do something about pretty easily. And it's just by stuff like not supporting movies like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I got, I got asked once, well, how are you so mad about something that you've never even seen? And it's like, well, I know I read, I read the interviews in their entirety. I know enough about the woman's life. I know enough about the era um, and I don't need to eat a poop sandwich to know that it's bad. So yeah, I'm not going to 
I'm not going to partake. I know enough to know that it's bad. I The only praise I've heard from the film is it's beautifully shot. Well, I've heard a couple of things on that. I've heard that it's beautifully shot. And then I've also heard that it's nonsensical. So I don't know what, you know, whatever. That really doesn't matter to me. And then I've heard that Anna de Armas, who plays uh, Marilyn, is beautiful. Well, of course she is. She's a beautiful woman to begin with. And she's being made up to look like one of the most beautiful women to ever live. So, I mean, you know, I guess congratulations. <laughs> you, you, you did a thing. Um, but everything else I have heard about the film, and I have been poring over not just critic reviews, I've been on, um, again, because I live in this sort of like vintage culture and um, and vintage fan fandom area, I've been reading what real fans are saying and what people who have actually watched the movie are saying. And every person who has watched the film, everything they come away with, that was so sad. That was the saddest thing I've ever seen. Oh my gosh, that was so traumatizing and sad. And one of the worst things is, is seeing people who aren't familiar with the real Marilyn is coming away believing that this was her life when it absolutely wasn't, when this was absolutely a fiction. But even when you tell a sad story, having it have some redeeming value having something in it um, that you don't necessarily have to uplift your audience, but even having a lesson in it, there's no lesson in this. It's just straight up trauma porn. And that's all, that's, that's all it is. And it's trauma porn based on a real person who had a real life and who had real issues and just piling more dog poo on them for the sake of making a buck. And it's, it's, it's a sad state of affairs. It, it just really is. And I am, as much as I love Marilyn, the actress, really and truly, we need to just let this woman rest. Just stop with the Marilyn stuff. Just stop. If you want to see Marilyn, watch her films because she has got some fantastic films out there. Watch her movies and, you know, I mean, if you want to watch this movie, you know, I don't tell people what to do or how they live their lives. But yeah, just know, you know, going in that um, it's a depressed fest and it's not based on any kind of reality at all. And it exploits someone who was um, already exploited enough. Folks, if you've listened to the Herd Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from D.C. and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played.
Yeah, Dolly Marler joining us. Let's do just that to put this on a happy note because this has been a really heavy topic. Um, <laughs> you already mentioned it, though. You, some of your favorite parts of her are actually some of those old, what they call the B movies. I get that. My favorite John Wayne movie was one of his B movies, Angel and the Batman. That's my favorite one, Gail Russell. I, that's my favorite John Wayne movie. I love that. I love everything about that movie. It's my favorite <laughs> one of his. It's really good, by the way. It's not like a bad movie. It's really well done. Give us a couple of those. I mean, I know everybody knows gentlemen prefer blondes and all that. Give people a couple of movies like if you want to know, if you want to see this woman talent, if you want to see what she could do when she had people around her that would, you know, uplift her talent. Give the folks a couple of things that they can go watch instead of this movie that we think is exploitive of her. So one of the movies that I like is one of her earlier films that she actually got to star in because she was in a lot of movies where she played um, big characters before. But one of them was uh, Ladies of the Chorus. Like I said earlier, it's about a burlesque performer who, you know, meets a um, meets a guy and falls in love and struggles with how society perceives their relationship because she's a burlesque performer. The fun part about burlesque performers in movies like that is they're always portrayed as chorus girls and not actually what they were as strippers. But um, that's a great one. And it has my absolute favorite Marilyn song, Every Baby Needs a Dad, Dad, Daddy. I love that song. But that's a great one because you get to see Norma Jean kind of becoming Marilyn. So that's a great one to start with. If you want to see Marilyn um, stretch her more, uh, her more serious acting chops, Niagara is great. She plays a villainous plotting, uh, plotting murder. Um, that's, that's fantastic. That movie, Joseph Cotton is in that one. And I just love him. Um, but they, they're great in that movie. Um, Don't bother to knock is, um, a great one where Marilyn dives into, um, the topic of mental illness. Um, it's not something she shied away from, you know, it's, it's, it, that's a, that's a really a really great one. And again, she's kind of playing a villain in this. Um, one of the things that, and just to circle back just real quick, cause this was a point that I really wanted to make <clears throat> about her. At some point, Andrew Dominic says, nobody watches Marilyn's movies. People just know her because of her sad life. And that's what made her popular. That's why, that's why she was famous. Well, at the time Marilyn was working and at the height of her career, no one had any idea about her trauma. Nobody knew that. What people loved and gravitated towards Marilyn was her vulnerability. She had this incredible ability to bring a vulnerable and soft presence to the screen that no one was doing before her. Um, she wasn't, you know, the high society, um, she wasn't the high society leading lady like, uh, you know, um, uh, Catherine Hepburn or, or um, Grace Kelly, you know, and she wasn't speaking with that mid-Atlantic weird, uh, weird sort of way of talking. You know, she didn't do that. Um, she, she wasn't the wisecracking blonde like Jean Harlow or Mae West. She had a softness about her that I think not just men, but everybody responded to. And that's what people are drawn to. They're not drawn to her trauma. They're drawn to that gentleness about her. And I think that's also what makes people protective of her now. 
And um, to his point that nobody watches Marilyn's movies, I have seen every single one, every single one, and they are good. So yeah, so Niagara, um, don't bother to knock. She plays villains, they're serious roles. If you want great um, musical comedy, obviously General Pref Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is a great one. Um, no Business Like Show Business, I think was one where the studio really kind of just used her name where she wasn't really in the film, but some of her best song and dance performances are in that film. Some Like It Hot is one of my absolute favorite films and she holds her own against two powerhouse comedians in Jack Lemmon and Tony Curtis. And those two are doing bits throughout the whole thing. And she's the straight man, um, but she's still funny. She's still funny. And I love that movie because I just relate with the character Sugar Cane so, so much. And those are just great films to watch. So if you want to see Marilyn, watch those things rather than, you know, these, these fake biopics that don't have anything to do with her at all. Yeah, Dolly Marlowe. This has been good. It's been a little heavy, but I appreciate you giving us some good light at the end. Uh, let folks know we're going to have you back because this is great. We're going to have to find some other excuse, get you back sometime soon. Something lighter, something a little more fun. Uh, let folks know uh, where they can follow you, what you have going on, where they can keep up with you on social media. Uh, we need to get you back. You haven't been on Twitter Supper Club in a while. We got to get you back on there sometime soon. You haven't been cooking much. What are you doing? Oh, my uh, God. I'm working. <laughs> yeah, but. While you're working, let people know where they can follow and keep up with um, you until we talk you to you again. Follow and keep up with me on Twitter or Instagram at Dolly Marlowe. And uh, yeah, if you can catch me live, I'm, you know, dancing and peeling um, all across the uh, greater <laughs> Southern California area. Um, I may hold out until you do another USO show and do the vintage thing myself, but that's just my own personal preference. Um, <laughs> so those are pretty cool, though. Uh the multi-talented Dolly Marlowe. Thank you for this. Uh, people can make up their own minds about the movie, but I think this is an important thing to talk about because they're going to do this to other stars going forward. We're, we're going to have a male star at some point that's going to be exploited like this too. That's coming. I think it's an important topic to discuss. I appreciate you helping us wade through it. Thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Thank you, ma'am. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. So much lemon.